On today's episode of the Cosmos Podcast, I'm joined in studio by Matt Hunter, our Manager of Business Development here with Cosmos Sports and Entertainment. Matt and I talk about some really interesting stories that have happened in the sports business over the last couple of weeks, including the Blue Jays broadcasting a game on Facebook, uh, MLSE's relationship with brokers, and Budweiser's new incentive-based sponsorship model that they're rolling out to some of their properties. So lots of interesting stories that uh, Matt and I talk about. This is also a little bit of a different format that we're trying, uh, a quick 30-minute podcast just talking about the stories, so hopefully you enjoy that. Uh, another thing we wanted to note is that this is our 20th episode, so proud of the team for, for getting uh, to 20 episodes, and hopefully we can get to 50 and beyond. So we hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the studio. Welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on again. Always excited to be here. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for joining us. So uh, we're recording this on a on a Wednesday. Um, nice. Uh, finally, some nice weather here in the in Toronto area. But a sad day for me, anyways. After watching the uh, the Raptors blow a very winnable game last night. Um, but I digress. So a um, couple things we wanted to to talk about. Um, some really interesting stuff going on in the industry in the, over the last couple of weeks and. Uh, we haven't really had done one of these kind of sit downs in a little while, so uh, some things that we wanted to uh, to catch up on. So one was you know a big news story in this in this area um, a couple of weeks ago, anyways, but still relevant is the the Blue Jays broadcasting uh, one of their day games on on Facebook. Um, some arguments kind of both ways whether this is a good thing or a bad thing, and uh, maybe some really interesting timing just based on Facebook being in the news. Uh, for some little bit more negative stuff recently, but uh, what, what did you think about the whole Facebook and Jays broadcasting uh, a day game on there? Definitely thought uh, it was interesting. Um, really good, really good quality. I actually uh, got a chance to tune into a little bit of my myself and and uh, view it. Uh, very, very solid HD stream and everything like that. But it is interesting, as you alluded to, you know, Facebook being in the media with sort of negative. And I almost saw this as they're trying to get back in people's good graces, even though I'm sure this deal was done well in advance of all the uh, all the leaked information and things like that. But yeah. uh, what were uh, what was sort of your take on it uh, initially? Well, I think yeah, I mean, I think it's I think part of it is it's inevitable. Like I think eventually this is going going to happen. Um, broadcast rights has always been a huge revenue driver for the big leagues so mlb uh nba nfl all that but um just the the whole model is changing so are the are the traditional uh linear broadcasters going to have the money to be able to compete for the rights and the the way it's kind of looking is it's going to be more the amazons and the netflix and the facebook's that actually have the the money that they can pay to to get the rights and we know that live sports is still one of the is really one of the final things that people need to tune into live um and really, I'm not too sure if people care so much about what platform they watch it on. It's more that, can I watch the game and can I watch it live? Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, I think I think the day game thing is very, um, very fitting for this. Um, just thinking that, you know, probably more people have an internet connection at work than a, than a TV. So um, I'm sure there was probably some, uh, maybe a little bit of lost productivity during, during that time, but... Uh, uh, I would think most people, more people have an internet connection, uh, than, than a TV at work. So day game seems to make, uh, make a lot of sense for that. But, um, one thing that, uh, that I definitely thought was interesting, um, and kind of ties into the, the negative stuff about Facebook in, in the news recently is, is the data and all that kind of stuff and, and privacy. And, uh, one thing that I noticed, you know, you can see who of your friends are watching the game, which, 
um, you know, ipso facto means they can see that I'm watching the game. So <laughs> not sure, not sure how I really, how I really felt about that. I don't know. What'd you think? Uh, I mean, I was sort of the same way as you. I, I liked it at first. I was like, Oh, this is really cool. I can see who's watching. I was looking to see if there was like a, you know, a chat feature that you could be involved with all your friends online currently doesn't exist. Maybe that's an idea. Facebook. Uh, <laughs> um, but then I, it slowly started ticking away and realizing that, yeah, people can see what I'm doing right now. And I am at work taking in the Blue Jays game. So maybe, <laughs> maybe not the best. I, I don't know if there is a way that uh, you can potentially turn that off. I think it might be somewhere in settings, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely going back to that whole privacy issue that uh, they're dealing with on a regular basis right now. So yeah. and I'd suspect probably with, with the stuff that Facebook has, has been uh, in the news for recently that they will probably have some sort of feature where you can watch privately. Um, if that's not already a feature, I, I would suspect it probably is coming up soon. But um, so one, one of the things that from a, from a commercial standpoint was that there weren't any in the, in the sense of, you know, the interruptive traditional 30 second spots and everything. Um, which is which is an interesting um, angle to this. What what do you think about that? Really enjoyed it. I mean, I, again, baseball is already sort of a, a slow moving game, so the less stoppages that you can you can have, um, the better. Uh, I find. Um, the more sort of integrated that a sponsor can get uh, with the broadcast, the more likely that people are going to actually stay and, and watch that. Um, I, you know, watching the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, over the last couple of weeks, and I'm thinking back to the, the Boston-Toronto game, I was almost looking forward to a commercial break to to settle down um, from, you know, the action and things like that. But they've kind of got this cut screen that pops out, and so it keeps keeps, you know, uh, camera on the ice as well as it's showing the commercial message and that's the message that's being broadcasted. So it was like, uh, it was really cool that you were getting inundated with those sponsor messages at the same time as you're still sort of looking at the screen that you're, you're attracted to. So I think that's, that's the way that, that sponsorship and, uh, advertising is sort of going. And so it's, uh, it was interesting to see that Facebook has that sort of, um, approach in place. Yeah. And I think, I think for the, for the sponsors, I, I would think that the value of a traditional 30 second spot is, is gone down a lot um, in recent years. And it, it really is the time when people get up and get a refill on their drink or get a snack or go to the bathroom or um, quite often it's pick up the phone, pick up their phone and start going on Facebook or something like that. So um, if you can, if you can eliminate that and you can create sponsor in, more integrated sponsorship opportunities, um, that don't aren't so interruptive and aren't feel like they're a little bit more part of the experience, then I think that's going to deliver more value to, uh, to a sponsor. Uh, and I mean, who knows where, where this could go? I mean, it's still pretty, um, you know, pretty, you know, broadcast advertising in the sense that is, you know, here's our message and, and we're going to, you know, yell it out to you because we have the platform to do it. But uh, you wonder with it being something like Facebook, could it eventually get a little bit more interactive? So, you know, there's a break in play and then there's some sort of interactive component um, that's, that's sponsorable, whether it's, you know, trivia or something like that, you know, you can go to the movie theater, you can play trivia before, before the movie, right. you know, maybe you could do something like that during, during breaks of play that could keep people actually engaged in the game and, and engaged with those sponsors as opposed to, uh, checking their phone right away. So, um, yeah. so yeah, some, some really, some really in interesting stuff that, um, that could be on the horizon for this, um, from, you know, putting our kind of our property hat on, I guess, um, you know, if, if you're representing the Jays or, or one of the teams, you know, one of the things that is always tough is, you know, we can get a rough sense of how many people are watching our game, but uh, it's not an exact science and we have no idea who they are really. 
uh, unless we know other ways. But you know, from from a marketing standpoint, I I should know exactly how many people watch the game. Um, I'll, I should be able to get a lot more insight into what parts of the game they were watching, how long they were watching for, did they tune in, tune out, um, what areas of the country are they coming from with you know IP, and then you can really uh, you know boil it down to exactly who was watching. Um, so you know from a marketing standpoint, might might be really helpful for the teams to to really cater messages to to those people and and understand a little bit more about the viewing habits of, of their fans and, and things like that. So, um, again, yeah, kind of pluses and minuses here to, uh, uh, to both of them. But, um, to me, I think the, what it kind of boils down to is the fact that this, the, the money is with the tech companies and Facebook and Amazon and, and those kind of companies, they're going to be the ones that are going to actually have the money to, uh, to, to bid for the rights. We were talking before that, you know, the MLB, you know, is, is, you know how much you know it cares about tradition and all that kind of stuff. I I doubt they're going to really be that um, you know romantic about it and say no. We really we really want our games to remain on uh, traditional TV uh, because that's that's where they've been for the last however many years since the fifties or whatever. But um, I think they're probably going to go where the money is. <laughs> I I have to assume so. I mean, uh, wouldn't be a wouldn't be a league um, if it wasn't uh, trending in that direction. So definitely uh, definitely agree. This seems to be uh, seems to be where everybody's heading. And it seems fitting that it's baseball, sort of the the first one to foray into it, just because, um, again, their demographic has been getting older and older over the years. So they're seeing if uh, if this is a way that they can sort of spark new interest uh, in a sport that uh, has been declining in attendance over the last uh, decade or so. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like all the leagues are trying to do different um, do, do different things like this. Like I know the NBA is coming out with a thing where you can. Uh, essentially just watch the fourth quarter for a dollar or two dollars or something like that so watch the part that everybody cares about anyways right <laughs> um as opposed to uh watching the entire game um i know the nfl has the red zone thing right. where you can you kind of get alerted i guess if a team's in the red zone so you can watch the part where it's most exciting uh, so it seems like you know all the leagues are trying to find ways just with you know declining attention spans and everything everybody's trying to find a way that how can we um how can we get someone's attention however limited it is nowadays so um the other thing, you know, if you put on, so the other player in this obviously is, is you know, the, the cable companies. Um, so one of the last real reasons to have a cable subscription is live sports. Um, for I know for myself, even the, t- the TV shows that we do watch regularly, they're always PVR'd and we're fast forwarding yeah. through the commercials. Even if I'm watching it live, I'll just PVR'd and then wait 10 minutes <laughs> so I can fast forward through the commercials. So, so I know for, for the cable companies, um, you know, this has got a, I mean, I'm, I'm sure the warning signs are all there. They've been worried about this cord cutting thing for a, for a while. Um, but, uh, you yeah, know, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on their perspective of this and, and what they should be thinking about it? Well, it definitely is is a concern. I mean, the numbers are there. You, you can see it heading in uh, heading in that direction. I mean, it's just interesting. They're going to be continue to be painted in a negative light. This doesn't help them in any any way, shape, or form in the fact that all of a sudden, Sportsnet, I can't watch the Jays on that. And there are a lot of more traditionalist fans who are probably looking to tune in to, uh, to Sportsnet to, to listen to um, Buck and Pat talk talk Jays. Yeah. So uh, when when they're not able to you know visibly see that and, and tune into the game, then there's a negative connotation associated with Sportsnet um, and uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily reflect well uh, on the company, even though it's it's sort of out of their out of their jurisdiction. I mean, all thirty teams unanimously agreed that they were going to turn over uh, certain rights um, 
and aspects to uh, to Facebook. So it is interesting. Um, do you think that this speeds up the decline now that you are sort of they're dipping their toe in? But I think is this a snowball effect? This is just going to be downhill from here. Uh, I, I would think so because one of the uh, thoughts that I had was you know, there are you know if you know to kind of label, you know, the category of millennials. If, if, if millennials want to watch something, they're, they're going to find a way to do it. Yes. So if I don't have a cable subscription and I desperately want to watch a game, I'm sure I can find a way to do it. Um, so it's not it's not a all or nothing kind of thing. Like I have to have a cable subscription or I don't. Right. That being said, I think there's probably a lot more people that have a Facebook account and use Facebook and are comfortable using Facebook than are finding some sort of stream somewhere on the internet. Uh, so it does open it up to a lot more people that are now thinking, eh, do I really need the cable anymore if I can watch enough of the games on on Facebook? So, I mean, this is st- it's still probably early days because it's one game or and and really, you know, this in this case, anyways, it was a day game. So it's, yeah, am I really going to cancel my my cable because <laughs> I couldn't watch the or because I can watch the day game on Facebook or you know so. So I'm not sure, but it definitely seems like that's the direction it's heading. That and the cable companies like Rogers and Bell in, in Canada in particular are going to have to figure out, you know, what uh, what they want to what they want to do about it. So. For sure, and I mean, I guess would your frustration lie a little bit more in in the MLB and and them having their MLB TV app through a lot of them, you know, consoles and laptops and things like that. That's already digital. That's on your laptop. And now you're turning those rights over to Facebook. And I'm sure there were some users that were, that were uh, a little ticked off with seeing, okay, the game's just on Facebook. I pay specifically for this subscription. It's not just cable. I specifically pay to get baseball on my laptop and you're going to give it away for free to people who don't pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think it, uh, I think, you know, nobody really knows what the what the right answer is. I think they're all just kind of testing to see what what's the right mix of all this kind of stuff because it's it's a whole new broadcast channel that you know that has been opened up by by these companies willing to actually pay for the rights to live sports. So, um, still, yeah, feels feels like early days. But yeah, I know, to your point, I, I know we had you know a few people in the office who pay for you know Sportsnet now or something like that, and it's you know you actually pay for that every month, and this game wasn't included on it. So, um, you know, I doubt they're going to get a refund, but you know, it's, um, anyway, yeah, early days, but really interesting stuff. So, um, so another topic we, we wanted to, to touch on was, uh, there was a story that, that was released. It was a joint investigation by the star and CBC, I believe, yes. um, into, uh, brokered tickets specifically with the MLSE teams. And, uh, there being some, uh, reports that, you know, those fans that have been identified as more commercial brokers, uh, really having their, you can look at it one of two ways, really the 30% premium applied to their tickets, or as MLSE puts it, just the, the discount that is afforded to regular season ticket holders just removed, um, from, from their, from their accounts. So, um, what, what are your thoughts on this and this story? Uh, you know, I guess it can kind of be seen from, from both, both angles, both aspects that either a, there's you know the big bad MLSC that that uh, are upset that they're not getting a certain certain cut, uh, so to speak, from tickets that are being resold in in um, secondary markets, or or there's these you know shady ticket brokers essentially uh, that are out trying to make a profit off of uh, fans who you know 
a product that's clearly in demand if we're, we're uh, speaking about the, the Raptors and the Leafs um, uh, and their recent uh, success over the last couple of years. So there's two ways to sort of see it. Um, I tend to lean um, more to the side of being being on the side of the brokers in, in this case. Uh, I, I think MLSC is... A major, a major corporate entity. They they make obviously a ton of money yearly, and this is another way that they're going to be able to squeeze out, uh, you know, ticket holders for every every sort of dollar. So that's that's sort of where I'm leaning. Where where's your head at? Yeah, I think it's to me it's it's always been kind of what's the difference between tickets and and any other uh, product or, or market. So you know if I if I can go to Costco and buy something wholesale and then sell it for for a little bit more, isn't that really how the whole kind of economy works. So why, why are tickets looked at or viewed as differently? And, and there's, there's always the conversations about it's, is it really a commodity in that sense? Is it more of a license? And, you know, those are just the, uh, the terms that people apply to tickets to, uh, to support their, their view. But to me, it's, if, you know, I'm, I'm taking, if I'm a broker, I'm taking the risk up front. I'm laying down the cash to, to buy these seats. Um, I should be able to sell them for what the market will bear. I right. would be would be my kind of my kind of thought. But um, and it really, you know, it, I think what um, the Leafs probably a little bit more of an anomaly because there really is just steady supply of demand at all times for for Leafs tickets. Yeah. But um, in other in other markets where maybe demand is a little bit more uh, flexible based on the team's performance and, and things like that, you know, there's all sorts of stories of you know the team selling directly to brokers to pass on that risk to them when times are bad um so in this case you know it, it just feels a little bit like you know oh times are good uh, you know we, we don't really like that you guys are making money that we're not getting a piece of so um yeah so it, it does come across as as a little bit a little bit greedy um you, you know in the same story you heard and i'm not sure if i understood it correctly but the, the winnipeg jets kind of have a similar type of mm-hmm. Uh, policy where they're they're more or less just saying that if you're identified as selling your tickets above face value, then they're going to cancel your your season tickets. So in that case, it feels a little bit more noble in the sense that no, we just we just want to keep the prices reasonable based on what we've determined is reasonable. Uh, but we want to keep the tickets in the hands of fans, and and we don't want to be gouging people in the market and all that kind of stuff. So it seems a little bit more noble in that case. This case, it feels a little bit more like. Uh, there's some money out there that we're not getting a piece of. Um, let's see how we can get a piece of it. But. Well, exactly. I mean, there's no actual physical charge to a Winnipeg Jets season ticket holder if they were found um, selling for over market value. They just cancel your subscription. You're no longer a season ticket holder. In this case, they're saying, you know, your platinum seat that's almost $22,000 is going to be closer to $30,000 because we found your commercial seller. Um, and, you know, we're basically going to take any profit that you could have potentially made off this. Yeah. Uh, and the, and the thing is, uh, like, it really does seem to me that by having the secondary market, you actually open up tickets to more fans. So, you know, if, like you said, you know, if, if you're, if all of a sudden the, the margin is gone on, on me being able to buy season tickets and, and sell them um, on the secondary market, you know, I'm just going to raise the prices. Uh, I'm not going to, if, if you're saying I, I don't have to stop, but I just have to now charge 30% more, that's just going to trickle down to the to the secondary market. And now all of a sudden fans, uh, you know, the fans, are, the team is really trying to protect are getting gouged even further. So um, doesn't feel to me like the like the right solution to the to the problem. But um, and it's also, you know, the, the reason that the whole secondary market exists 
It's if someone's willing to pay as much as they do on the secondary market, then you know if the tickets were priced at that level in the first place, then you know there wouldn't be the secondary market. So it's um, and understand why teams do that or or you know event owners do that. It's you know they don't want to appear greedy. They don't want to appear that they're they're gouging their fans directly. So it's been a nice kind of way to. Um, uh, to you know, sell the tickets, get a fair market value for them based on what the team set, and and then really it should be they should kind of look at it as out of their hands at that point. It's they should be happy with what what they've gotten for their tickets, and um, if somebody is selling it for more, then then great. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found it was interesting uh, though that. Three percent of uh, Leaf season ticket holders were affected, um, but thirteen and a half percent of Raptors season ticket holders were affected by uh, by the uh, surcharge. So, I, I mean, I guess that is where you're seeing the the major issue and the fact that okay, the Raptors are good. The Raptors make the playoffs year after year. Basketball is growing in popularity in the country, and so now we've got season ticket holders who are out there, you know, selling their tickets. So it's, it was just an interesting stat from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. You wondered, I mean, I would, I would assume that Raptors tickets, season tickets are probably a little bit uh, cheaper than Leaf season tickets. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> um, so maybe that just kind of opens it up to, to more uh, people who are, are brokering um, tickets. Cause you know, if you're really, if you've got kind of the cash to lay down on, on Leaf season tickets, then, then maybe you are using them for, and the, I mean, it's always been the, the knock on, on, the Leafs in some cases always been that it's all corporate anyways. So um, maybe they really don't care about, you know, brokering the tickets. They're, they're more using them for their executives or things like that. But um, yeah. Um, so again, another, just very similar to, to face the Facebook broadcast story. It's, it's a new channel. I mean, it's still a relatively new channel in terms of a really, um, I mean, there's definitely the old school kind of brokers and that kind of stuff, but the stub hubs and all that kind of stuff, just a new channel to, to deliver tickets, and I think teams are still trying to figure out exactly how uh, how their relationship with the secondary market should work. Because um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the stories of uh, in the, the same story from the Star talking about you know the Jays. You know, it was disclosed that they get a cut of t- their tickets that are sold on StubHub, which doesn't shock me at all. It's it seemed mm-hmm. like that kind of makes sense. StubHub wants to have a good relationship with the Jays, and um, so it makes sense that they would get a get a cut, but. Um, yeah, still, still trying to feel out exactly what what's the right thing, um, so everybody wins. Hopefully, um, great. So, the third story we we wanted to to touch on. Um, this is one that was highlighted on uh, on sponsorship.com with uh, IEG and, and ESP Properties, um, talking about uh, Anheuser Busch and, and Budweiser, uh, and a, a new kind of idea with with sponsorship and and how they're going to pay for their for their sponsorship rights and really making it more of an incentive-based model uh, where they're you know open to a, a base amount that they'll pay for their sponsorship but building in s- certain incentives if the team performs better that they'll increase their investment in the team so interesting um, wh- what did you think about it uh, I, I definitely thought it's a it's a unique model um, uh, in fact I I kind of liked it um, just because you do get added value and added exposure uh, from successful teams and, and successful products so 
uh, essentially Anheuser-Busch is saying we should be paying more for that. And if you're, if again, if your middle of the road team or your product or, or your brand image is, is lesser, you know, we shouldn't exactly be paying the same, same premiums that we do with say uh, Red Sox or Yankees um, type organization. So uh, I, I really found it unique and, and I like it. it. It is still tough to get away from that, uh, you know, negative connotation that Anheuser-Busch is trying to cut cost uh, and say, we're not going to pay as much uh, this year because you didn't make the playoffs um, or, or other in- uncontrollable things. Um, but in the realm of sponsorship and, and valuations and things like that, it, we always say it, it is a bit of an art and a science. And, and I think it is trying to encourage uh, teams to get out there and really be creative in what they're what they're trying to do. I, I believe there there was a quote in there um, that that they were saying that if teams were doing unique things with their marketing or trying to diff, uh, reach different audiences or you know finding new forms of social media to really get impressions out there, then they were also going to pay more for that. So the ins- I. I find that we put air quotes around incentive and say, okay, well, that means the team has to make the playoffs, thus I'll spend more. But I think it's also trying to encourage partners to get more creative in what they're offering Anheuser-Busch. I mean, Anheuser-Busch is the largest sponsorship spender um, in the United States. So they've done this. They've been around the block. They spent a lot of money. They're saying, let's get even more unique and capture even more of this market. And how are you going to do that for us? And if you can be creative, we're going to pay more money for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's an important thing to note because at first listen, you, you kind of think, okay, this is a way to really cut costs to say that we're going to tie our entire sponsorship spend to uh, certain metrics and incentives. And if you don't hit them, we're going to scale our pricing based on that. But um, as far as they've kind of come out and said it, it really is, you know, we're comfortable paying our base fee. Um, but if certain things can be over delivered on, then we're okay to pay extra for that. So um, it is interesting. Yeah, you, you mentioned the difference between uh, you know, on-field performance versus, you know, marketing and, and you know, the business side performance. Cause you'd think, you know, okay, yeah, you know, the team goes on a deep playoff run and there's some extra games that are happening that, yeah, okay, maybe the, there's some extra value being delivered there, but really out of the control of the business side. So, uh, is that really going to motivate the business side at all? Uh, but if it's tied more to new forms of marketing, new forms of reaching audiences, deeper engagement, all sorts of things like that, then, then yeah, maybe it is a, a way to really incentivize the teams to push the envelope a little bit more, take a little bit more risk to, uh, because there's actually a reward there as opposed to just saying, you know, the, the amount is fixed. So what's really the point of pushing the envelope? It's not going to really benefit us anything in the short term. So um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's, um, it's also, it was oddly enough, something that was kind of brought up. I was watching uh, some of the MIT Sloan conference and they had a panel on sponsorship analytics and, uh, Sam Kennedy, who's uh, president of the Boston Red Sox, was asked about this type of thing. And you know, his kind of thoughts were more that, I mean, it sounds like anyways, they're going to kind of stick with more of the traditional model, that uh, it's a more of a flat kind of fee. And uh, his thing was more about that it's it's really a partnership that, you know, sponsors are with us through the good times and through the bad. And um, that in his case, you know, they don't go back to their sponsors and ask them for more money when they go on a deep playoff run. Um, but you know, they're not going to kind of accept less if the team's not doing really well in terms of attendance or things like that. But um, if it really is just a an added incentive and not detracting from, from the value, then um, seems like this could be something that more sponsors want to adopt. And um, like, you know, like we were talking about, you know, it helps encourage more risk-taking and, and more, um, 
you know, more innovative types of uh, in, in activations and engagements. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, I think it's one of those ones that you're going to have to wait and see and see how it plays out with with the sponsor and the team and things like that and what, what the dollars end up coming down to. Um, but I think it does go back to what we sort of alluded to on the last topic is that somebody's shelling out a large investment up front um, and then, you know, waiting to see see the results. So the sponsor here is Anheuser-Busch and they're shelling out a large amount of money. As you said, if there's no other incentives added on, it's it's okay, here are our key deliverables and we're just going to hit those and move on. Whereas they're saying if we've got incentives on this, it's going to ask you to go above and beyond and keep trying to service and deliver our brand um, throughout the season and, and onward. Uh, the only other fear, I guess, is that if it is about, you know, sort of winning and losing and teams playing more games than perennial losers like you know, the Padres and things like that are going to be in big trouble trying to find a beer sponsor if everybody tries to adopt this model. Yeah, yeah. So again, something really early days, um, something probably my my guess would be, well, we might see a little bit more of this. Uh, uh, Budweiser has adopted it with a few teams. I think the Timberwolves were one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so early days and we'll see kind of where it goes. But uh, I think it part of it comes from, you know, other marketing channels, primarily digital and that kind of stuff are, are offering really deep insights and kind of that pay for performance model. And so it, I think it's only natural that this kind of s- stuff starts to bleed over to the, to the sponsorship space and, and everything. So, um, we, we keep an eye on it and then see what, uh, what it, what it's going to look like, but uh, very, very interesting concept. So, um, great. Well, Matt, thanks. Thanks for, uh, taking the time to, uh, join us on the podcast again. And, um, Thanks, everybody, for for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you again in in a couple weeks. Special thanks to Matt for joining me on the podcast again. It was great to have him in the studio and get his insight on some of these stories that have taken place over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We hope you enjoyed the format. Uh, We hope we're going to be trying to roll these out every couple of weeks or so, talking about the most relevant stories in the Canadian sports business. A reminder, if you haven't already, you can subscribe to the Cosmos podcast wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Uh, Thanks very much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.